Hey, sweet peppers. Welcome to another episode of Esoterica and Nonsense, a podcast where we discuss myths, legends, folk tales, fairy tales, supernatural phenomenon, and religions from around the world. I am your host, Annabelle, your creepy, kooky cobbler with whipped cream. I am here on a super spooky night. I am house-sitting for a very nice dog named Loki. And the house I'm staying in is so fucking creepy. And, um, yeah. Literally, as I said that, I just looked up and they have, like, a framed... Somebody died. I don't know who it is, but, um, he lived for a very long time. Uh, I'm seeing that he was born in 1910 and died in 99 and they have like this whole shrine to him. Um, They have a grandfather clock that has gone off twice already, once at 6.21 p.m. and once at 6.36 p.m. So I don't really understand those intervals. I don't understand why the grandfather clock keeps going off. There's a rainstorm happening. Uh, It's just all around really creepy. So I just thought this would be a perfect time to record. I have been away for quite a while. I've been busy. I feel sad that I haven't been able to record, but here I am now, so there's no reason to feel bad. I am excited because this is spooky season. It's officially Scorpio season, and if you don't watch Los Espookies, this is the time for you to start watching Los Espookies because they ushered in Scorpio season the way that it should be done, you bitch. Okay, so my sweet peppers. I decided to choose a Halloween-themed concept, which is the Will of the Wisp. The Will of the Wisp is actually a global phenomenon, and I had never heard of this. Not a surprise, because I feel like people don't talk about this stuff. Oh, hi, Loki. Loki just came to say hi. Hi, boy. So, what is the Will of the Wisp? Well, If you haven't heard of it, guess what? You kind of have. Because jack-o'-lanterns are actually derivative of the belief in the -the will-of-the-wisp. Or what it is known in Latin as the ignis fatus. So what that really means is fool's fire. Or something that is deceptive or deluding. But... In a nutshell, what this phenomenon is, is an atmospheric, quote, ghost light. And it's seen by travelers at night, especially over bogs, swamps, marshes. And there are almost always flickering lights, kind of like a candle. So a lot of like in the modern world scientifically a lot of people believe that this phenomenon is actually known as quote globular lighting which i mean unsurprisingly is actually very underexplored and basically globular lighting refers to luminescent spherical objects that occur during electrical storms and um there's also another theory that it's actually a natural phosphorescent light that's produced by the decomposition of organic matter, either on the ground or buried at a shallow depth. But 
Let's get something very clear. I've heard a lot of skeptics say things like, oh, I don't believe in ghosts or spirits because I believe everything has an explanation. It's like, yeah, ghosts and spirits have explanations too. For example, our aura, every human has an aura. If you don't believe me, you should Google it because there's something called an electromagnetic field. We can't see them with our eyes, or at least not most people. But the fact that you have an electromagnetic field means that some animals can actually see it, which means which is the same thing as an aura. So the planet also has an aura. Fun fact. So all this whole like, oh, it can be explained by science. Therefore, it's like not magic. It's like, you guys, everything's magic. Hello? Anyway, so I, this idea that these flickering lights could be produced by decomposing organic matter is interesting to me. Because I think they, I think people are saying that as a way to explain that these aren't ghost lights. But if something is dying and decomposing, that means it's dead. So if you're going to see flickering lights, would that not just be the spirit of those fruits, vegetables, or people? You know? I don't know. Just playing the devil's advocate. I'm just asking questions, okay? So, it is thought that, okay, wait, backtrack. In older communities, especially in Europe, but on other parts of the world, they would think that these lights were actually souls that were bound to earth for eternity that were there specifically to trick humans. And a lot of people actually think that these lights are witches, typical, um, that have ascended into being light beings. And some believe that there are signs, <laughs> that it's signs of buried gold that only children can access. So only the children can find the gold. <laughs> Who makes this shit up? Okay, so some people believe that it's actually a dead child that was not baptized. That is churchaganda, if I've ever heard it. And funnily enough, a lot of my other Halloween-themed episodes, we're going to hear a lot about that, apparently, a lot of church folk. Do you hear that? It's happening. Okay, the clock just chimed again. It's 6.51. What is, who, who designed this clock? This doesn't make any sense. Ugh, whatever. It's so creepy. Maybe it's just like, it's 6.52 right now. So maybe it's just like eight minutes ahead of schedule. But then why was it, but why was it chime? I feel like this chimes like every 20 minutes. I just feel like it's a thing. Okay, whatever. So what I was saying is apparently if children aren't baptized, a lot of people think that they're evil ghosts forever. So stay woke, I guess. Um, some other people think that these lights are actually souls that are sent from heaven to do God's penance, but instead they decide to do tricks, which is interesting because if God sent the souls, that means they made it into heaven. Okay. So I'm just using church logic here. Okay. With church logic, if those souls got into heaven, they would have had to have been baptized, right? Theoretically. So then if God sends them to do his penance, but they're still doing tricks, how would they, how do they deserve to be in heaven if they're not obeying the word of God, right? I mean, I don't know. There's just a lot of holes in this logic. Um, and I would, yeah, I, I think there's just a lot. Of, I don't think they've like really thought this through. 
um, because there's just a lot of holes in the story and in the thought process. I don't know if there was a lot of thought process um, in a lot of these theories. I do think that it's fair to say that these are light beings. Who's to say that they were originally earth creatures? They could be, they could not be, but they do seem conscious. That's my opinion. But this is exciting because now we're getting into jack-o'-lanterns. This is a juicy story. I love drama and this story is full drama, full camp. So jack-o'-lanterns, I never knew why we used to do that as a kid. Do you know what I mean? I used to like ask my parents like, why the fuck are we doing this? First of all, it's great. I love jack-o'-lanterns. I love, I love art, you know? Um, but you know, uh, no one had an answer for me. It's just, it's just like, it seemed like this, just with a lot of culture in the United States, just a lot of like habits that people have <laughs> for, with no context. We just do them every year, you know, uh, like Christmas trees. I actually know why people do Christmas trees, but like you weren't supposed to bring them into your house. You weren't supposed to fucking cut down an entire forest and sell it to private residences. You're supposed to have a tree in the middle of the town that is supposed to be a symbol of life during the darkest part of the year. And it's supposed to be around the summer or not summer, the winter solstice. You're supposed to decorate it with wishes and ornaments that you make out of, you know, um, wicker. And then you set the tree on fire and it's supposed to be like a festival of lights for the darkest time of year. You're not supposed to fucking put it in your house and throw it away. And then anyway, just another example of ridiculous practices. We sh we'll get we'll get into that actually on a later episode. But jack-o'-lanterns, why do we do that? I'm so glad that you asked because the whole jack-o'-lantern trend is actually from Ireland and Irish immigrants brought it over when they emigrated here and they would actually back in Ireland most commonly actually carve turnips sometimes rutabagas and sometimes mangelwurzels which is a variety of field beet <laughs> and sometimes pumpkins hmm so pumpkins are actually it, from the Americas. So they weren't really as common in Europe and they were kind of coveted and, and considered foreign and expensive. So that wasn't really a part of the tradition, but it's so, <laughs> it's really interesting why people did it. So, so the story goes that there was once an old Irish man named Stingy Jack or Drunk Jack. And now jack-o'-lantern see mm -hmm. so drunk jack i'm gonna call him drunk jack drunk jack was a fucking drunk dude he was like drunk all the fucking time but uh he was just kind of like a just a guy who was just always around always drunk just kind of always just you know bipping and bopping as they say and one day he helped an old man and this old man actually turned out to be an angel. So to reward him, the angel granted him three wishes. So Jack used the wishes to punish anyone who sat in his personal chair or from anyone who would take wood 
from his, quote, personal tree, or anyone who tries to take his cobbling tools and the punishment. So those are his three wishes. Those are the three things that people would be punished for. And the punishment would be having them permanently fixed to the ground so that they couldn't move. Honestly, um, that's a pretty drunk way to waste your wishes. I mean, there's like so many other things to wish for. Uh, you could like wish for, uh, I mean, I don't know, but this is like, yeah, I don't know. Pretty dumb. Bad move, drunk Jack. Bad move. <laughs> so, um, the angel, which this checks out, the angel is disappointed by Jack's wishes and bars him from entering heaven. Whoa. I mean, that's kind of extreme, right? He's not dead yet. Like well, he could change, but I, I, I get it. I mean, I'm pretty disappointed too. That's, that's, uh, that's embarrassing. Those are bad wishes. So because he was barred from heaven, Jack was left to deflect the messengers of Satan, who would eventually try to trick him into going to hell. And because of this, he was condemned to roam the world with a hollowed out turnip, with a light inside, neither in heaven nor hell. So that's one version of the story. However, I found another version, which is a lot more fun and a lot more descriptive into how fun Jack is because all work and no play makes Jack a dull, dull boy. So in this story, um, Jack is infamously, quote, vile. <laughs> and, uh, and I guess he's just like a fucking son of a bitch. And so Satan naturally hears of this infamous Jack, uh, this infamous stingy Jack with a vile reputation. And naturally, Satan becomes curious. So one night, as Jack was wandering drunk through the countryside, he came across a body lying in the ground with a grimacing smile. Um and new you know surprise this this weird creepy body was satan <laughs> so jack realized pretty quickly that this was like you know probably the end for him um so he decided he really had to like get his shit together and you know see see what he could do to make things go in his favor so he asked satan for one final request before he died. And he asked him that if they could go have a drink of ale before they left for hell. So Satan naturally is like, you know what? You know, I could go for a pint and go to the local pub, as they, as they say. So Satan took Jack to the local pub and supplied him with many drinks and as they were getting ready to leave, Jack naturally asked the devil to pick up the tab. So, of course, Satan doesn't carry cash. And at the time, uh, you know, they didn't take card. But also, I mean, the devil can do magic. So this is where, again, there's holes in the story. Okay. Um, but here we go. Satan doesn't carry cash. Jack convinces him to turn himself into a coin to trick the bartender. 
So yeah, let's just repeat that. Jack convinces Satan to turn his whole body into a coin so that he could trick the bartender. And then when the bartender wasn't looking, Satan could transform back into Satan and they would leave. This doesn't make any fucking sense because Satan could just easily like cast a spell where he just turns some other inanimate object into a coin, you know? Like why doesn't he turn like a pint glass into a coin? This doesn't make any sense. But apparently drunk Jack is smarter than Satan, whoop-de-doo. So Satan's like, yeah, dude, like cool idea. So he's like, basically Satan appreciates that Jack has a proficiency for shenanigans and deceit. So he does it. Satan turns himself into a coin and Jack puts the coin in his pocket next to his crucifix, which kept the devil in coin form because the crucifix was just so powerful. You know how those story goes. Uh, and funnily enough, you know, Jack never paid for drinks because he had a never ending tab that he never paid. So the devil also should have known that plot holes. Anyway, so pretty soon the devil started bargaining for his freedom because again, he was like trapped in coin form. He wasn't going to get out. He didn't really think that Jack would ever maybe like forget because I don't know, whatever. So Satan wanted to bargain. So what Jack bargained for was 10 more years of his life. And in exchange, he would set Satan free, which he could have bargained for more, in my opinion, but what, whatever. So Jack gets 10 years. And finally, the devil returns. And before the devil takes him to hell, <laughs> Jack asks to eat an apple. And for some fucking reason, the devil complies and Jack asks Satan to climb this apple tree because he wants an apple from one of the highest branches. Again, my answer would be fuck no, dude. Like you had 10 years, you could have eaten as many apples, like your time's up. But Satan is down. So Satan climbs this tree and Jack surrounds the tree with crucifixes. So again, Satan now has been outwitted and he's stuck up in this tree. And so Jack decides to bargain again. And now he bargains that he will never go to hell. So, you know, at first you're like, you know, genius. Why didn't he do that earlier? You know, except... The party lifestyle took its toll and he found himself in an alley in Camden. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but the party lifestyle did take its toll. And as he prepared to enter the gates of heaven, St. Peter, or as I like to say, St. Pepper, stopped him. And St. Pepper was like, hey, dude, God has told me about the life that you've lived. It's been, quote, sinful and full of drinking and deceit. So you're not welcome here. And that was kind of like a, you know, kind of like a slap against the face because Jack hadn't really thought about this. 
So afterwards, he ended up going to the gates of hell and begged to be admitted. But Satan could not let him in because he had already made a vow that Jack would never be allowed to come into hell. Which again, that doesn't make sense. Why would you want to go? I mean, like, you know, so the legend goes that after all of this, um, Jack was given an ember to light his way <laughs> through the night and he was doomed, he was, quote, doomed to roam the world between good and evil with an ember inside a hollowed out turnip. Oh, it's so creepy. Um, so apparently in this context in Ireland, a turnip was actually a large rutabaga. Um, but, okay, here's the thing. I feel like this story is, again, churchaganda because I feel like they try to make it seem like purgatory is the worst place. Like, But I don't think I don't think this is quite purgatory because I've heard purgatory described more of, of a realm, like a waiting room realm that's endless, which does sound like bureaucratically like my nightmare. But is, is roaming the world between good and evil with a turnip lamp? worse than hell? I mean, I don't think so. I think this is a W for Jack, you know? Um, I mean, because I've heard hell is just like a never-ending torture session, and it's like torture that is tailored to you. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like this is like way better. <laughs> I feel like this is so much better. But I, yeah, I, I feel like, um, I feel like the point of this story is to scare people out of trying to outsmart the devil because even if you are smart enough to quote like outsmart him that you're still not going to heaven so i think this this seems kind of like uh fear tactics you know whatever but because of this story during um samhain samhain i think i'm pronouncing that right which was um kind of like well it, it, it's predated All Saints Day, but it's really just the day that was celebrated from October 31st to November 1st. And don't worry, I'm going to do a whole episode on that. But in Ireland, people were carving turnips, rutabagas, beets because of this story. And it was supposed to be kind of spooky, but also a reminder to not be deceitful. I don't know. <laughs> I don't like maybe this is me just um making some random suppositions but I it feels like everyone drinks so much in Ireland that they're like you can drink but just don't be deceitful and don't lie and play tricks or else you're gonna end up like Jack just like all by yourself roaming around with a rutabaga <laughs> but that's why that's where jack lanterns come from you guys so now you know now you can impress everyone at your Halloween party or when you go to your family's house or when trick-or-treaters come to your house you can literally sit them down for 10 minutes and just rant on about drunk jack the kids will love it now i actually um have a bunch of other little tidbits from other versions of the ghost lights or will of the wisp or ignos fatus um they come from all around the world, but these are the ones that I found that had the most info and slash the ones that I found most interesting. So there's one known as the Boitata. And 
This story comes from the Brazil Paraguay area and also in parts of Uruguay and Argentina or Argentina um, as <laughs> as someone who didn't live in the United States would say just like that tortilla that's okay Argentinian accents are so crazy to me I my Spanish isn't great but I'm I'm proficient but it's so hard for me to understand Spanish with an Argentinian accent because of all the sh. Yo soy tortilla la playa Argentina. Anyway, that's just my hot take. So this story, the boy Tata, comes from the Guarani mythology. And this is native mythology. And the word boy Tata means fiery serpent and the story goes that this huge serpent lives in the amazon and it is a primordial serpent that is known that that originally lived on earth when earth was perpetually dark and endlessly flooded so this sounds like before land was created and again I am going to do like a Leviathan slash serpent episode. And this is really interesting that they have this story because almost every culture on earth has stories of a primordial serpent that lived on earth far before humanity and was like the first ruler, ruler of earth. So I think this is really interesting, this story. So anyway, here we have this giant serpent living in the jungle, specifically like the Amazon area. And ruled over the jungle when the world was dark and flooded. So eventually, as time went on, um, all the animals in the swampy jungle started moving to the highlands where it was more easily inhabitable. And the only animal left was this giant serpent that is known as the Boiguasu. So the Boiguasu lived in a dark cave and it was known to see in the dark and eventually this snake developed a taste for eyes and it ate so many eyes of other animals that the snake's eyes became bright like two suns and his body began to burn in flames and at that moment the power of the body of the boy Guasu left its body weak and eventually led to its death. So basically, it caught fire with like an eternal energy that ended up leaving its body. So it ended up becoming a flame entity and its physical body died. So that day it transformed in the, into the boy Tata and the boy Guasu died. So now the boy Tata flies over the jungle as a beam of fire. And it is said that if you are to make eye contact with it, you will go blind. And if you want to keep your eyes, you're supposed to keep them tightly shut and hold your breath until the snake is gone. Ooh, that's a good one. So then... Our next story is of the Luz Mala, or the Bad Light, which is also from Argentina and Uruguay. So literally, the 
Luz Mala is known as the, quote, ghost in the spotlight. So it, it is said that it appears at night as a bright light and it floats low to the ground. And sometimes it is said to be motionless and sometimes it's known to chase people. And it's mostly feared, but sometimes it's actually referred to as the legend of the good light or the buena. No, <laughs> the good light or the luz buena. <laughs> so though it is mostly feared, sometimes the luz mala is actually referred to as the luz buena or the good light because in those areas, they actually fear a different concept more, which is known as a banshee. And a banshee is a soul from a body that did not receive Christian burials. Again, church agenda. So for that reason, in some areas, when they see these floating lights, they actually think that they're good based on the fact that they're not banshees. But most areas consider them to be bad. And it's often associated with the mandinka or the mandinga, which is a South American depiction of the devil. And the mandinga is known to trick people so that he can own their souls. And it is said that the mandinga lantern or light appears after sunset in the hills and ravines during the driest months. Mm. Which is interesting because that's also kind of like the jack-o'-lantern thing, right? Because people would think if they saw a light in the distance that it was jack roaming through the hillsides. And here, this is a similar concept where it is there's a mandinga lantern that, that de the devil has some lantern while he's roaming through the hills. It is also said that mandinga lanterns are known to appear above buried treasure of gold and silver. Some legends say that it's actually the deceased owners of the treasure that are trying to scare people away. Um, yeah, I don't know. If I, if I saw a light, would I be compelled to dig for treasure? I don't think so. I think I'd be more interested in communication. Um, but I guess if no one was watching, you know, I guess it doesn't hurt to just dig a hole under where you see a light. I'm not against that. So some people believe that if you dig under the lights that you'll find old treasure, but these treasures will emit a gas that is fatal to inhale. So when people go out on these excursions to bury this fucking, or to, to dig up this buried treasure... People will wrap fabrics around their face so that they don't inhale the fatal ghostly fumes. This is so crazy. This is chaotic. I actually love that though. Let's go on a treasure hunt. So the next story that we have is of the La Candeleja or the Bolefuego. And this story is from... Colombia and Venezuela. And this is in the same vein. It's a bright apparition. It's 
shows up on dark nights in the plains of Los Llanos. And this area is a great tropical plain, and it's just a massive, flat grassland that spans from Colombia to Venezuela. And the light often shows up as a flashing lantern, and it's known to shake with violence and turn in circles. And people believe that the Bolifuego is a spirit of a woman that was burned alive in her home with her two children, and she attacks travelers. That kind of reminds me of La Llorona, because... In other parts of Latin America, she's known to have possibly been murdered with her kids. She she didn't always murder her kids, so there's some crossover there. But with the Bolifuego, it is said that the ghost is attracted to prayers, so it's advised to avoid praying if she is to approach you. (laughs) Um, Some other people believe that she was a grandmother who raised thieves and murderers. And because of that, her spirit was condemned to wander the world surrounded by flames. That's so interesting. So next up, we have the Sucoyant. Sucoyant. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it sounds like it comes from, a, it's like a French word, but yeah, let's just say Sucoyant. And this is from the Trinidad and Tobago area in some parts of the Dominican Republic and St. Lucia. In Haiti, there's a um, a similar story known as the Lugaru. In Louisiana, there's a story known as the Grenada. And in parts of the Caribbean, it's known as Ol Higgy or Ol Haig. Uh, or sometimes just hag. And this concept is known as the fireball witch or the blood-sucking hag. Sick. So basically this story is that this is a shape-shifting entity that appears as an old hermit woman by day. And by night, she takes off of her skin and puts it in a mortar And then she flies across the night sky in her true form, which is a fireball. Honestly, I'm so far I'm relating to this woman. Um, And as she flies around as a fireball, she searches for victims. Ooh, it chimes again. And she enters the victim's home through any sized hole or crack. Then she sucks people's blood from their arms, necks, legs, and the soft parts of their body while they sleep. And in the morning, they wake up full of blue and black bruises on their skin. And it is believed that if she takes too much blood, the victim will either die, they will completely like disappear, or they themselves will become a sukoyant. Or (laughs) the sukoyant will enter the body of the victim, much like a hermit crab, and take control over the body. So she, this whole, like, her her human counterpart, when she, like, wears her human skin, she's considered a practitioner of black magic. And it is believed that she trades the blood that she sucks at night 
for powers from a demon known as Basil. And he is known as the demon of death. And he resides in the silk cotton tree. And the silk cotton tree is actually a sacred symbol in Maya mythology as well as in Santeria. And um, the tree and its fruits are I, I googled it. It's hard to explain, but like the the fruits kind of look like cacao from the outside, um, but on the inside they kind of I mean they have like this cotton texture, like they they're full of this fluffy stuff inside of the fruit, and then the flowers kind of look like jasmine. So my the the description I wrote was like a cacao jasmine cotton combo. They look really cool, um, but yeah, apparently this demon known as Basil was tricked by a carpenter and basically lives in this tree full time. So the Sukhoyant is is thought to go to this tree during the day and trade her blood for powers of the devil. <laughs> so in these areas, the people who worry that she may come into their house will sometimes put heaps of rice around their house, like in different holes or crevices so that she can't come in. Or people will actually put them at the village crossroads because they believe that at night she will have to collect every grain of rice before passing that threshold. And the thinking is that it will keep her occupied while she counts every rice, every grain of rice. And to destroy her, you have to place coarse salt next to her skin in a mortar so that she cannot return to her skin. And also, fun fact, in the black magic world, the skin of a Sukhoyant is allegedly supposed to be very valuable and very expensive. And um, the story of the Sukhoyant actually bears some similarities to another story and concept known as the Ashe. And the Ashe is a witch woman of the Yoruba tradition in parts of the Caribbean and Central and South America. And they believed that old witch women would shed their skin at night and shapeshift into animals and sometimes suck their blood. However, not exclusively. And this is more of like a Nahual situation. Like these, these were basically brujas who had the ability to shapeshift into animals, which is a really interesting concept that we're going to talk about in the next episode. So our next little story, our little tidbit is the Alea, which I couldn't find a bunch of info on. So please write in if you know anything. The Alea is from the Bengali culture. And this is a marsh ghost light. And it's famous for confusing fishermen and sometimes leads fishermen to their death if they choose to follow the lights. But other people believe that these spirits are actually the spirits of dead fishermen and they're trying to lead other fishermen to safety. The difference in these stories, I feel like, is anxiety-inducing because if you were a fisherman and you had heard both of these stories, and then you see the lights, I feel like 
it would be really frustrating because what do you do? Do you like sail away from them? But then what if they're actually trying to help you and they're trying to lead you to safety? Or, I mean, you know what I mean? Like you could just like spend hours like going crazy over that. <laughs> um, so the next one that I looked up was the Chirpati. Um, so this is an Indo-Pakistani and Gujarati tale. <gasps> oh, you scared me. Oh, you guys, all those ghost stories. The dog just scared me. <laughs> okay. So, the Chirbati is Indo-Pakistani and Gujarati. And the word Chir means ghost and Bati means light. And so it quite literally means ghost light. And it's known as a strange dancing light that occurs on dark nights in the Bani grasslands and seasonally over the marshy wetlands on the adjoining desert of the marshy salt flats near the Indo-Pakistani border. And locals claim to see them hovering as well as flying in spherical form. So this is really happening like all over the world. People are seeing this shit. I mean, it also could be aliens, just saying. So lastly, we have the Hitodama. The Hitodama is from Japan, and these are known as human souls. And they are known as fireballs, kind of, that mainly float in the middle of the night. They are said to be souls of the dead that have separated from their bodies. There's a famous excerpt from the Manyoshu, and it, quote, when you are alone and meet the complete blueness of a hitodama, you will naturally think of it as the sorrow on a rainy day. Oh, that's so sad, but so poetic. So the specifics of their characteristics change depending on the region of Japan, but they are known to fly crawling along which that's such a weird description but that's like that's what i in my research that it said so they're known to fly crawling along at a low elevation and they're usually blue orange or red and they're sometimes known to have tails that can vary in length and sometimes even appear during the day i will say um i have seen people who take film photographs in certain parts of Japan and they'll pick up a lot of orbs in the photographs. Um, I wonder if those are thought to be Hitodama. So in some regions it is said that they appear before a child is to be born and in other regions <laughs> they say that they are appearing to drive humans to their death. Other people believe that they emerge out of a dead body after it's been dead for about two to three days. And they'll float either to a nearby temple or to a place of importance for that specific person. And usually only people who are close to that person will be able to sense them, see them, and or hear them. But I want to know, have you seen a ghost light? Have you seen a ghost I want to hear all of your creepy stories. 
please email in at esoterica and nonsense at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. I want to shout out all my international listeners. I have listeners in South Africa now. I have listeners in a place called Guernesi. I didn't even know that place existed. I have listeners in Hong Kong, in Vietnam, in Turkey, in Denmark, in Egypt. Just shout out to everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Please share with your friends and family. I am a new podcast and enjoy your life. Enjoy your day. And thanks, sweet peppers. Happy spooky season. <laughs>